Assalamu alaikum and greetings to you all. Welcome to the Maidan podcast. My name is Rahina Moazu. I'm a female reciter of the Quran and have been learning, studying, and teaching Quran and its recitation, both at the madrasa and at different tertiary institutions. My PhD research conducted at Freie University, Berlin, Germany, is on female reciters of the Quran in my home country, Nigeria. Currently, I'm a visiting lecturer and research associate at the Harvard Divinity School. For the Maidan podcast today, I'll be talking about Quran recitation and female reciters in Nigeria. I'll begin with a brief history of Islam and Islamic knowledge in West Africa, particularly in Hausa land, what is today Northern Nigeria and some parts of Southern Niger. Then I'll talk about female reciters, touching on their training. The last part will focus on the presence of the female sound of recitation in the public space and the debates surrounding perception of women's voices as part of their nakedness. In between, you will listen to my recitation. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إذا وقعت الواقعة ليس لوقعتها كاذبة خافضة رافعة إذا رجت الأرض رجا وبست الجبال بسا فكانت هباء منبثا وكنتم أزواجا ثلاثة فأصحاب الميمنة ما أصحاب الميمنة وأصحاب المشأمة ما أصحاب المشأمة والسابقون السابقون أولئك المقربون في جنات النعيم ثلة من الأولين وقليل من الآخرين على سرور موبونة متكئين عليها متقابلين Nigeria, the geographical focus of this episode, is in West Africa, bordered by Niger, Cameroon, Chad, and Benin. It is geographically situated between the Sahel to the north and the Gulf of Guinea to the south in the Atlantic Ocean. With a population of over 216 million people, divided roughly between its Muslim and Christian population, with a minority of followers of African traditional religions. Islam arrived in Kanembogno, the present northeast part of Nigeria, in the 11th century, and later into Hausa land, particularly Kano, since the 13th century, through Sufi scholars and North African traders. 
the new religion grew among Hausa states, both with a strong tendency for syncretism with native spirit religions and remained the religion of the ruling class. It is not possible to know precisely how Quran recitation was learned during this early period of Islamization. The few historical sources available indicate that, just like Islam itself, the study of the Quran was also predominantly the affair of the ruling elite. Islam gave the ruling elites an opportunity to become educated. Among the courtiers were the Malams, whose roles included teaching the royal children the Quran and literacy skills. While the adherence to Islam by only the ruling elite during this period may explain why the Quran was only learned by them, another factor could be the lack of adequate Quran teachers. The arrival of the North African scholar Muhammad ibn Abdul Karim al-Maghili to Kanu marked a new era of both conversion to Islam and of Quranic studies. Al-Maghili wrote the obligation of princesses, a treatise on Maliki law and Islamic governance for the king of Kanurunfa, and wrote a handwritten copy of the Quran, which was probably the first complete copy of the Quran in Hausaland. Another important thing that Al-Maghili did was initiate the Al-Biru Quran teaching system. This was a Quran learning method and community-based system in which the community was supposed to work together towards achieving mutual uprightness and piety. Under this system, Muslim children received free Quranic education and the sustenance of both the teachers and the students rested upon the community. Pupils graduated only when they had memorized the entire Quran and were able to write it down. Borno, now a state in the northeastern part of present-day Nigeria, known today for its Boko Haram militants, came to be known and recognized for the study of the Quran. Prior to the establishment of the Sokoto Caliphate, Borno was a separate kingdom within the Kanem Empire. An extension of the Sefar dynasty whose territory extended to the present-day Chad, Niger, and Cameroon. During the reign of King Mayume, Quran studies spread widely. It was claimed that Mayume himself memorized the Quran. In the centuries that followed, Borno became highly recognized for Quranic studies in the whole of Western Sudan and students were encouraged to travel there to study. Without being educated in Borno, a student's Quran scholarship was not considered to be top class. The Malams in Borno established Sangaya, that's Quran schools in Hausa, that received students from various parts of the empire. Both Hausa and Borno kingdoms lived separately until the jihad of Shehu Usman Fodio, which brought both kingdoms under the newly founded Sokoto Caliphate. In 1804, Shehu Usman Fodio led a jihad that paved the way for the establishment of the Sokoto Caliphate, a large caliphate that became the largest south of the Sahara, a vast empire which spanned across present-day northern Nigeria, and parts of Niger, Cameroon, and Benin. Its institutional influence extended to Sego and Messina, in the Republic of Mali, 
Ute Jalon in the Republic of Guinea, Ute Toro in the Senegambia, Northern Ghana, and Chad in Central Africa. The Sokoto Caliphate was an important milestone, not only for the history and practice of Islam in Northern Nigeria and for the influence it exerted on neighboring West African states, but also for the memorization and recitation of the Quran and Islamic education in general. The female scholars of the Caliphate, the famous of them Asma'u bint Fodio or Asma'u Erfodio, as she is locally referred to, and her sisters played an important role in women Islamic education. Asma'u, who died in 1864 and left more than 60 surviving works written in Arabic, Fulfuldi, Hausa, and Tamarek, taught the Quran and other Islamic sciences to fellow women. In her privileged position as a princess, and with the agreement of her husband, Kidad al-Layma, she began teaching women in her home. With the growth of her home school, she expanded it to cover women in all parts of the caliphate, initiating a squad of female teachers known as the Entaru, who traveled throughout the caliphate, mobilizing fellow women to attend Asma'u's classes. From this woman, a leader, Jaji, was chosen and assigned the responsibility of conveying the woman to her. As young married women with family duties could not leave their homes due to their responsibilities at home, it was the elderly women who were not culturally bound by family responsibilities who became the members of the entire. Nevertheless, due to the concerns that this woman might suffer from a weak memory, the Entaru included young girls and the group became a combination of older women and young girls. The caravan of the Entaru women traveled from village to village, camping at various places during the night. During the journey, the leader, Jaji of the group, wore an honorary hat as Mao had given her and led the journey by staying in the front. On the way, they sang the poems Asma'u taught them, whose sounds was heard everywhere by the people. A woman with the loudest voice who had been given the house title of Zakara, a rooster, led the group in singing aloud Asma'u's poems. She may have been called Zakara rather than Kaza, that's hen, because of the sound of the cockroach which permits every corner of towns and cities, signifying daybreak, sunrise, and light. The activities of the entire will not have been possible without the overwhelming support of the caliphate. Shehud Amfodio was a devoted supporter of female education. He denounced neglecting women's education and wondered how a teacher could impart knowledge to his male students but neglect his wife and daughters. Sokoto and Borno continued to thrive as centers of Quran learning until the British invasion at the end of the 19th century. Although initially not supported by the colonial office in London, the British High Commissioner for the Protectorate of Northern Nigeria, Frederick Lugard, attacked the Sokoto Caliphate for the fear that if he did not make a move 
the French might. The attack was launched with the claim that the caliphate was guilty of the crime of conducting slave rights. With the fall of the Sokoto Caliphate at the turn of the 20th century, the entire movement soon also collapsed. This period was also the beginning of a difficult transition for Quranic education, both for teachers and their students. The loss of support by the state and migration of Quran teachers were shattering, but it was more shattering for women's education. With the rise of the itinerant malams, it was only boys who became al-majri. Over time, only girls from scholarly families had access to advanced Quranic and Islamic education. This period, I argue, also marked the beginning of changing perceptions about the permissibility of the female voice in the public space, which also paved the way for a much more male-dominated intellectual sphere. Even though Jean Boyd has stressed the existence of the entire to at least 1983, who were taken to be identical with Enziara, that's Tom visitors, and that some descendants of Asma'u students continued teaching in the Asma'uin tradition, like the case of Modibo Hafsatu. And Sadia Umar in her book traced the latter's activities in the 20th and early 21st century with regards to various forms of community services. It is clear that the unique activity of the Entaru of educating a large number of women by traveling throughout house land, singing poems, and taking knowledge to women in seclusion had disappeared. ف 
There are important developments that occurred in the 1980s. The new actors that emerged and pushed forward the long tradition of Quran and Islamic education were Izala. The advent of Izala in 1978 brought forth a new opportunity for women to learn religious education, especially during its early days. This brought about the emergence of Quran recitation as a form of cultural capital for women. At the beginning, women were only recipients of the knowledge of recitation, but later became its transmitters. The role of Izala in women's education could be seen as a continuation of the mass women's education of Nafodia's time. They were the first to start married women's schools at the beginning of the 1980s. In these schools, they taught married women Quran, Hadith, Fiqh, Islamic history, and Arabic language. The new movement faced resistance by many local scholars who, taught, who thought that it was improper for married women to receive more education. Many men and some women rejected the idea and mocked the notion of a woman sitting in a class taught by men. Even though Izala has used the schools to teach and preach its fundamental message of Tawheed and rejection of Bidah, the main focus of the studies were the Islamic subjects mentioned earlier. Some married women insisted on attending classes despite their husband's disapproval, which in some cases led to divorce. Soon, the married women Islamic schools gained acceptance and using its power, Izala expanded and opened branches of the schools in various cities and villages throughout Nigeria. Women in their hijabs walking to schools became new visible markers of Islam everywhere. Izala did not restrict itself to only the married women's schools. Different forms of Quran tahfiz memorization schools soon emerged for both boys and girls. The tahfiz schools became the new modern schools where children learn Quran recitation. Mostly, they operate in mornings, late afternoons, or evenings. Lessons are held in mosques, school classrooms, and sometimes at the teachers' homes. Many girls attend the morning schools. Students are taught a few verses of the Quran daily, and teaching is usually on one-to-one -one basis. First, the teacher recites a few times and the student repeats. Next, the student recites while the teacher listens and makes corrections. And then the verses are memorized at home. Finally, the verses are recited the following morning to the teacher and the student receives new ones to memorize. However, some morning schools do not follow the above teaching method. Rather, students are collectively taught a single chapter without regard for their individual abilities. In some cases, memorization is not even required. 
as emphasis is placed on recitation. And the goal is making the students have the ability to recite the Quran perfectly while observing all Tajweed rules. This new Izala Tahfiz schools and similar ones, later established by non-Izala, give girls and women access to the knowledge of Quran recitation. It started with teaching them what I call the Arab melody, which came into Nigeria in the 1980s, about the same time with the establishment of Izala. These Arab melodies differed from the Qira'a, developed in the house land over the centuries, especially through a greater emphasis on Tajweed. Qira'a is the Arabic version of Qira'a. It has become a house word that is used to denote a person's reciting voice or the personal melody that individual reciters use. While Tartil could be slow, spaced, with an unhurried rhythmic style, Qira'a is usually fast, melodic, and stylish. The Arab melody, which are the recorded recitations of Egyptian reciters, quickly gained popularity in Nigeria, which led to a new trend in the history of recitation. By the 1990s, both the Egyptian Muratel, so that's the recitation with a medium tempo, and the Mujawad, recitation with a slow tempo and a more beautified voice, became very popular. The Muratel and the Mujawad came to be referred to as the Tertili in Hausa, uh, at the Tertili and Tangimi. So the former, that's Tangim in Arabic. The former is clear and melodic, while the latter is more ornamented and more melodious. The recitation of Egyptian reciters such as Sheikh Ali Husari, Sheikh Muhammad Siddiq al minshawi and Sheikh Abdul Basir Abdul Samad were widely celebrated and their influence grew tremendously when the Quran Tahfiz schools decided to use their recorded recitations as pedagogical tools. Their recordings were used to boost Tajweed, particularly Makharij al Huruf, helping students to learn how to properly pronounce Quran Arabic letters from native Arabic speakers. In addition to the Egyptian reciters, Saudi Arabian reciters were also used. Some of them include the popular Saudi Imams and reciters, such as Sheikh Ali Jadir, Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Sidais, and Sheikh Saud al-Shurayn. Radio broadcasts also played an important role. These recitations were also listened to on Saudi and Kuwait radio stations and later recorded and distributed within a trans-regional and transcontinental network of reciters. So this were all happening before social media platforms took over. Girls particularly benefited from this change as Tahfiz schools were for both boys and girls. In the 1990s, as a young girl attending a modern Quran school in Jess, Nigeria, I experienced this change firsthand. My new school, Muassasari Adul Quran, introduced the Asharita class, so a listening session in which we, we listen to Egyptian Muratil recitations. Muratil was perceived as the standard style 
the prominent reciters were Sheikh Khalil Hussari, Sheikh Muhammad Siddiq Al-Minshawi, and Sheikh Abdul Basid Abdul Samad, as I have mentioned. And it was a 30-minute session daily, followed by a tutoring session by our teachers, in which we again listened to recitations by our teachers, and they listened to our individual recitations as well. As well. The whole curriculum was developed by our local teachers, and we never had any foreign teacher. Our class was divided into groups based on students' ability to recite and memorize. My team was a group of seven people, and I was the only girl who were given a page to memorize daily. And our teachers recited the page first, we recited after them, and then recited from memory the following day. Apart from individual work with our teachers, the Asharita class was another opportunity to learn the art of recitation. We listened to the Egyptian reciters attentively, with some of us clearly imitating them. Soon, many young reciters abandoned their previous voices and developed new ones based on Al-Mishawi Al-Husari or Ujabir. Al-Mishawi was very popular, especially among the male students. Many felt a special connection with his style and referred to him as Sayyidi. So that's my leader. It's Sayyidi in Arabic. When one of us picked a reciter and modeled our voices on him, we'll gladly say, I copy the voice of Al-Mishawi or I copy the voice of Al-Husari. And this included our teachers as well. Some became so good at improvising these voices that they could reproduce an almost exact copy of the original. Many female reciters I know also achieved an excellent imitation of the original styles. Examples are the two famous national contestants in the 1990s, Maryam Sahlu and Zainab Rigachukun. The former is a reciter from Kano State who imitates the style of Sheikh Ali Jabir. And the latter is a reciter from Kaduna State who imitates Sheikh Muhammad Ayyub. So that's an imam at the Prophet Mosque in Medina. Other students, however, including myself, realized that we were not very good imitators. Whenever we attempt to imitate any style, we sounded strange. So we redirected our efforts and ended up developing our own personal style. But these personal styles were certainly influenced by other styles. وَلَقَدْ عَلِمْتُمُ النَّشْأَةَ الْأُولَى فَلَوْلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ 
In 1986, the Enfodio Quran competitions were introduced. It was initiated by the office of the Sarkia Muslimi, also known as the Sultan of Sokoto, so that's the, the head of uh, Muslims in Nigeria, and organized by the Faculty of Islamic Studies at Enfodio University, Sokoto. It is the main activity that takes the female voice into the public space and is considered responsible for the 90% increase in female reciters between 1986 and today. The competitions are open to public audience that consists of male, female, adults, and children. At its inception, it was welcomed by all Muslim groups in Nigeria, including Izala. The Donfoyidi competition became an umbrella event that brought together Muslims from all the states of the Federation and various Sufi and non-Sufi groups to compete in the memorization and recitation of the Quran. Every year, invitations are sent to various states. The competitions are at districts, local government area, state and national levels. For a contestant to attend the national competition, they must first win first place at all the various categories. Then they will qualify to represent their respective states at the national level. I had represented my state plateau several times at the national competitions. Competition venues became spaces for female reciters to publicly display their recitation skills and benefit from it, not only spiritually, but also worldly benefits. Many girls and young women began joining the competitions. They are those that take the study of the Quran very seriously. They commit themselves to memorizing and reciting it in private to achieve piety. They also recite in public, not only during competitions, but during group readings, religious gatherings, and at various functions. In turn, they get empowered through the competitions, through converting their recitation skills into different forms of capital, such as social, economic, symbolic, and mobility capitals. For instance, a reciter I, in, I interviewed in Kanoe in 2005, who just moved into a new house in a quiet neighborhood where houses cost millions of naira, had won six cars in different Quran competitions, even though she keeps only one in her compound. Everything in her house was new and everything seemed to have been won at various competitions. I asked her to tell me which items in her house were gifts, to which she replied in Hausa with a smile 
there is nothing that I have not won. Just look around. There are a lot of things in cartons that I have not even unpacked. To list a few of her prizes, she has won six cars, six hatch pilgrimage packages, refrigerators, washing machines, television sets, sewing machines, sets of furniture, kitchen utensils, books, and a lot of cash. While she did not tell me the total amount of money she got, she did mention that she had won hundreds of thousands of naira many times. Public recitation also gave female reciters a form of what I called symbolic capital. After winning national competition, the overall winners of the Quran competition are called to the podium for what we call in the Nigerian English, the Tobarn ceremony. So the Tobarn uh, is a word used as a verb in Nigerian English with no equivalent <laughs> in English and can be understood as something between a coronation and being knighted in that the reciters were Tobarn as monarchs but not sovereigns. The title of Gurzan Shekara Ogweni for men for women, that's mastery of Quran recitation and memorization, is conferred on them. As part of the turbanin ceremony, which is carried out on the podium, female winners are dressed in beautiful royal robes. Usually, the first ladies in the states where the national competition is held, or the royal queens crowned them. People travel from different parts of the country to witness the ceremony. They watch with joy while it's done, chanting loud, Allahu Akbar. The event is also broadcast on various television, radio, and social media outlets. While women's publicity empowers them through getting economic, mobility, and social advantages, it also leads to debates an aura of the female voice. Aura is an Arabic and Islamic charm that is translated as nakedness, genital organs, private parts, genitalia, pudenda, as well as flow, blemish, and defect. Under Islamic law, the term has been used to refer to a part of the body of a male, female, child, or even former slave that should not be exposed to those who should not see it. In the Quran, aura appears differently and in different contexts, from private parts to times of privacy and spaces of vulnerability. Several hadiths refer to aura in terms of prohibiting a man from looking at the aura of another man and a woman from looking at the aura of another woman. In my work, I translate aura of the voice as vocal nudity or vocal nakedness. I use it to refer to the perception of the female voice as part of aura or as something that is not supposed to be too exposed based on cultural and religious understandings. The public presence of the female voice in Hausa Muslim society 
has always been an object of attention, concern, and dispute, not only in religious contexts, but also in non-religious ones. In northern Nigeria, the female voice is culturally taken as a measure of a woman's dignity, femininity, and marriage market suitability, gushed by how she speaks and to whom. On the one hand, a woman who talks loudly in public spaces like markets is considered unjust and lacking in dignity. On the other hand, according to the idols of femininity, a girl is expected to learn how to speak softly, slowly, and in a lowered feminine voice. To a suitor, her voice should be culturally tantalizing. And of course, she remains so when she moves to her marital home. Earlier, I have talked about how the Muslim group Izala posted female Quranic education. However, in 1997, they withdrew from that unfolded competition and banned its female members from participating in national Quran competitions. This brought the debate on vocal nudity to the floor. Although the reasons Izala cited were not restricted to the position of the female voice, the popular argument, which resonates with many Muslims, is that the female voice is awra and should not be publicized. Another reason for seeing the female voice as awra is that women are not allowed to participate in the Saudi International Quran Recitation Competitions at which male Nigerian Quran recitals invariably excel. In the religious sphere, there are at present two contradictory trends. The first is the increasing spread of the female voice in religious activities, that is, for instance, in Quran recitations and Qasida. And the second is a rising perception of the female voice as part of a woman's nudity. The Quran does not explicitly declare the female voice to be part of a woman's aura. Nevertheless, while addressing the wives of the Prophet, Quran 33-32 does refer to their female voices. It is this verse that has formed the basis of varying and conflicting understandings on the legal position of the female voice in the public space. The verse says, O wives of the Prophet, you are not like any other woman. If you keep your duty to Allah, then be not soft in speech, lest he in whose heart is a disease should be moved with desire, but speak in an honorable manner. Those who argue that the female voice is aura concentrate on the phrase, meaning do not be soft in speech. While those who argue women are allowed to use their voices concentrate on the last phrase, meaning speak in an honorable manner. Although contemporary Nigerian scholars have disagreed on whether a female's voice is aura, they are unanimous on a number of things. One, they are unanimous that the female voice is aura when she speaks with a seductive or deceptive voice. 
And two, they are unanimous that it is forbidden, haram for a woman to speak with a seductive voice in the presence of a non-related male. And three, the female voice becomes aura if listening to it could lead to infatuation or fitna. Fitna can be caused either, so that's the continuation of their understanding. Fitna can be caused either when a man listens to the voice with the intention of seeking pleasure or when a woman's speech infers temptation or seduction. However, the scholars have either left several questions unanswered or disagreed on them. This include what exactly is seduction in the voice and is the female voice inherently aura and who determines the seduction? Is it the female that speaks or is it her listeners? And how and to whom it will be known that seduction occurred? So in general, and to conclude, many female reciters, despite these understandings, continue to recite publicly in various avenues, not only during mixed gender audience public recitation competitions, but also during different functions. And their recitations are publicized, especially on social media platforms. We have come to the end of the episode. And I want to conclude again with my recitation. Thank you for listening. Wassalamu alaikum.
إنه لقسم لو تعلمون عظيم إنه لقرآن كريم في كتاب مكنون لا يمسه إلا المطهرون تنزيل من رب العالمين أفبهذا الحديث أنتم مدهنون وتجعلون رزقكم أنكم تكذبون فلولا إذا بلغت الحلقوم وأنتم حينئذ تنظرون ونحن أقرب إليه منكم ولكن لا تبصرون فلولا إن كنتم غير مدينين ترجعونها صادقين فأما إن كان من المقربين فروح وريحان وجنة نعيم وأما إن كان من أصحاب اليمين فَسَلَامٌ لَكَ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ الْيَمِينِ وَأَمَّا إِنْ كَانَ مِنَ الْمُكَذِّبِينَ الضَّالِّينَ فَنُزُلٌ مِنْ حَمِيمٌ وَتَصْلِيَةُ جَحِيمٌ هذا لهو حق اليقين فسبح باسم ربك العظيم